What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to Off the Chain, simply the best podcast in crypto. Let's kick this thing off. Rachel Feinstein is an actress and stand-up comedian. She is married to a captain in the New York Fire Department who's been in Bitcoin for the last six years. In this conversation, we discuss the daily routine of a comedian, how Rachel built her career, what she finds so funny about finance folks, and then she tells me a number of hilarious stories about her husband and his friend's obsession with Bitcoin. I really enjoyed this conversation, and I hope you do as well. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys. Bang, bang. This might be the most excited I've been for an episode. I have Rachel here. She promised to attempt to be funny. Uh, thank you so much for coming in and doing this with very little context. I have no information. She also keeps talking to the microphone really weird. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, all right. You are a professional comedian. And I'm very flattered to be invited to this sterile, important room right now. <laughs> when, we, uh, when she came, she literally stood outside the conference room and wouldn't walk in because she said it looks like the place where important meetings happen. <laughs> I knew I had no place here. Yeah. Um, I was all right. Like, I'm just going to come in and, yeah, say a bad word too soon or something. Yeah, this looks like a very important room where men have financial arguments. So, so Rachel has uh, a unique perspective in that she, one, has very little context on crypto other than her husband is uh, into crypto and Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. We'll get to that in a second. Let's start with your background and kind of how do you end up becoming a professional comedian? Well, I moved to New York when I was 17 with this guy in his band called Dick Sister, um, just because I was really into making really wise life decisions. All right. I wildly failed in school. How old, like, how old was he? Uh, Dick Sister was um, 22, I think, at the time. Okay, so five I think years. it was legal. Yeah. All right. Um, Is that legal? I'm not sure. Okay. <laughs> Let's not get into that. <laughs> okay. Whether I'm a victim or not, we can loop back around to later. Um, I'm definitely a victim of believing in Dick's sister. Okay. Um, so I moved to New York with Dick's sister, and then um, my parents are, like, wildly liberal, so they never really question anything. You know, I didn't go to college, and my mom was just like, sounds fantastic. She just sort of stood on the lawn in, like, some kind of menopausal cape. Just I think she was wearing a dashiki, possibly. Just like, sounds wonderful. Good luck. Rock on. You know, so they <laughs> had no logical questions, which they should have. And um, and your dad is a civil... My dad um, was a federal prosecutor, civil rights lawyer. Okay. And now he plays blues full-time. So he plays piano and zydeco accordion. and So he's doing life so, the right way in terms of yeah, both I mean, ends and, of the spectrum. And I think that's why they encouraged me to do stand-up because, you know, in my dad's uh, family, you were either a doctor or a lawyer, and that was it. So then he became a lawyer, and he obviously did some interesting law. Like, he prosecuted KKK cases in the South, and he... But he was a musician. I mean, he... And so that was, like, his first love. He plays everything by ear, like piano, zydeco, accordion, uh, harmonic, and any instrument he could just pick up and play on. So I think he wished he'd done that earlier. So they were just like, go ahead, move it, move in with Dick's sister, do whatever you want, just flail around in life and figure it out. All right, so 17, you come to New York. Yeah. Uh, how do you go from in a relationship with a 22-year-old musician to 
Well, Dick's sister dumped me, and that was okay. very painful. Um, what if I just started weeping right now? But Dick's sister dumped me, and I wasn't expecting the dumping. You know, usually you feel a dump coming on, like a soup or something. You kind of feel it collecting. Like, I was just eating a bagel in the kitchen, and um, he was like, I don't think we should be together anymore. I'm like, but Dick's sister. And the you guys, band were, didn't you guys like were living me. together? Yeah. Okay. I was like the Yoko Ono to Dick's sister. The okay. band didn't want me around. They felt like I was, like, cockwalking their good time. Yep. And I was no fun, and Dick's sister just wanted to be free. And I speak for them collectively. I think that's what they wanted. Um, and so he dumped me, and then he would kind of, like, undump me sometimes. I think I, I rented a room with this Bengali woman that I met on the Greyhound. Um, I was weeping about Dick's sister, and she was like, you should come live with me. I remember she was like, you know, never cry over the man. The man is not worth tears. Just come to live with me. She was like, my husband is like garbage person. She was like, I don't even like my husband. I don't care. That's what my parents told me to marry. But I have good life. She's like, don't weep over a man. Forget this. She was like, come live with me. Remember she described the life we'd have, and she was like, you know, we'll have good life. We'll, we'll take yoga in the mornings. We'll take marmalade. I'm like, I want to take marmalade and yoga in the mornings. Like, it sounded delightful. She's like, we'll take toast and marmalade and yoga. We'll have a good life, a nice, relaxed life without all this nastiness of the man. So I was like, absolutely. So I moved right in with this Bengali family. Okay. And that got me to New York. You can edit any of this out. I'd say probably most all. of it. Um, so that got me to New York, and then Dick's sister was living in Staten Island at the time, and so sometimes I would take that dumb ship to Staten Island and, like, sleep over, and he would just, like, do a lot of blow and disappoint me sexually, and then I would come back to the Bengali family again. But that got me to New York. <laughs> so, uh, and then I got a couple of jobs, like, uh, I'm not good at selling things, so I was supposed to, I remember I walked up Broadway one day, I knew nobody in the city. I okay. was just like wildly lonely. You know when you move to New York and you're just like a different kind of loneliness. I'm like, people have friends here and they can afford to go to cafes <laughs> and like have creative discussions. And yeah, I was just like so jealous of everyone. And I remember walking up Broadway and I went to this store called Fat Shoes and Clothes on Broadway. And it was just like a sneaker store, a sneaker clothing store. And I asked for a job. And uh, they gave it to me. And I felt like I was like a beastie boy. I'm like, well, I've arrived. I work on Broadway in New York. I'm like the coolest yeah. person that's <laughs> ever existed, really. Just because I worked on Broadway. That's how low my standards were for myself after being freshly dumped by Dick's sister. So, um, and then I was fired in under four hours because I couldn't sell things. I can't sell things. I don't know how you guys do it. I don't know how you sell things to each other. I'm it, just assuming I, that that's what finance men do. But how, yeah. how does... How do you get fired in four hours? Like, what is that conversation? Like, <laughs> like, like listen, it, it's over. Well, he wanted me to approach people that were trying to make a decision about whether they would buy an item of clothing and encourage them to do so. Okay. And it seems like a pretty straightforward time. I bet you could do it. I can't do that. I just felt, like, intrusive and awful. And I'm like, so I would just walk up to, and I ended up sort of looking weirdly creepy, you know? Like, I didn't compliment in the right way. I remember a guy was trying a, a shirt on. And I was like, that looks sexy. And he's like, no, don't say sexy. Like, that's weird. And I was like, oh. I don't know. What are you supposed to say? It's just you want him to buy it, right? But it just sort of looked like I was hitting on the men. And yeah, no one really felt safe when they went in there. And they kind of just left and got weirdly grossed out. I can't I can't sell things. I just I felt too strange and like guilty. And I would just sort of weirdly hover. And I couldn't even fold the clothes. Like my fold was disgusting. I saw the manager look at it and he was real grossed out. It was like a slovenly. It was not a lady's fold. There's a big difference between the store fold and the yeah, like at home folding fold. Yeah, folding is like a yeah, yeah, yeah. There, it's a talent, you know. And and um, 
I think I was just so bad. He didn't think I had any room to really grow. Like, he didn't feel like he could do much with me. And he, to answer your question, he didn't really say, you're fired. Um, there was more of a sadness to it. He just kind of went up to me and he was like, you go. Like, and I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> like, I was like, tomorrow? <laughs> like, when should I show up? And he's like, no, you're done. Like, yeah. And it was sort of this smearing indication towards the door. It's just like, no, we don't need this place. You know, I was like, fair, fair. So um, that was my first job in New York. And then I got a job uh, nannying and, you know, bartending and different things like that. And then I met a guy in a bar and he said he was a comedian. And I was like, I want to be a comedian. I do, you know, voices and characters yep. and stuff. And he told me to go to this open mic and um, he was put me on it. It wasn't really fully an open mic. It was like a booked bar show, actually. Okay. Yeah. What's the difference between an open mic and a booked bar show? An open mic would be like a comedy club says this open mic starts at 8 p.m. And everybody just signs up and they'll keep going until like 12, 1. And I've been to many of those, too, where you just sit there for like five hours and wait to do five minutes. And it's mostly just comedians looking at you. Yep. And like looking at their own pads, really, and just like what, they, what they're about to do themselves. Are they funny? Some of them are, and then some of them are like horrifically yeah. bad. Okay. Yeah. And then a book show is like you go to the comedy club, and they know exactly who's going to be on the. There's there's like levels of book shows. So what I did for the there's first levels time to I did, this shit. Exactly. <laughs> um, you said that like Nas. I like that confidence. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so there's when you do a booked bar show, it could be like open mic comics. It's in like a bar where most people are hanging out, but there's like a little kind of comedy show in the back type mm-hmm. of thing. And it's people that are just starting and they perform in a bar so they can get what's called, sta- we call it stage time. And so this guy talked to him for a little bit and he's like, I'll put you in probably in between a few comedians that were a little better than I was. I mean, I was, I was terrible. I hadn't even done it yet. And so he put me on and, you know, gave me five minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that was my first time going on stage. And so let's, we'll come to, like, what you do now. But on the first time you get on stage, do you, like, sit down and write some jokes? And you're like, oh, I think these are going to be funny. Let me go up there and just, like, rattle them off. Or do you just get up there and you're like, ah, oh, look at this person in the crowd. You're an idiot. And just kind of, like, tee off on people. Uh, you, you should – Ideally, the first time you go on stage, you know, write an act, write five minutes and really think about it and think what you're going to open with and close mm-hmm. with and all this stuff. I sort of told aimless stories about my family and I was so nervous that the microphone wasn't even really directed towards my mouth. It was just kind of like diagonally in front of my face. And I was wildly drunk because I had like four Jack and Cokes because I was so terrified. And, yep. and I don't... I'm a drinker, but I would drink, like, two beers or something. Like, I'm not going to – that was the most I'd probably ever drank in, in a short period of time in my life because I was so terrified. Yep. So I went on, um, yeah, just shit house wasted and kind of rambling about my family but not understanding how to give it more context and explain uh, what I was referring to. And also the microphone was just pointed due north, so no one heard me really. <laughs> so it was an active – Was there any, any laughing? <laughs> I think there was a few laughs okay. here and there, but from the people that were closer to me, they could understand <laughs> some of it. But I remember getting off and thinking, like, I was amazing. I was like, well, yep. what comes next? Uh, you know, I was like a like a kid in the 50s. I was like, and then they'll put me right in the movie pictures, yeah. and I'll be a star. That's how it'll all work. Sure. Mr. Hollywood's probably here, and I'll see what I can do, and it'll put me right in the picture shows. Like, I really believe, like, that was it. I was yep. phenomenal. And everybody was like, yeah, you weren't talking into the mic. And I just sort of slowly learned that 
what a disaster it was, but it was addictive. You know, I just knew I wanted to do it again and okay. I wanted to get better. And so how do you go from the first one and we'll give you like a C plus on it. How do you go from <laughs> that very to gallant do, of you. doing a second show? Do you just go back to the same guy there and you're like, hey, is there some, another time I can get up? There was somebody there and they were like, I do this show at Gotham Comedy Club and you have to bring three people. You have to bring three paying audience members and you can get seven minutes if you do that. And okay. so a lot of those are called bringer shows and they do them all around New York City. And it's a way that the comedy clubs can make money. Um, but it also involves me kind of like begging people to come, selling yep. things, which I'm not good at. But I tried really hard. I would just go into this bar near where I lived at the time, and uh, just like this Irish bar, and I would just ask everyone there if they would come to my shows. And, Who's the drunkest person? All right, yeah. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> I remember there was this one guy, Rufus, and he like worked in the pool league at this bar. Okay. And he was always like, I'll be there, baby. And he was like morbidly obese. And I always think how touching it was that Rufus made his way all the way downtown for my dumb show. And he would, he was like, you know, the kind of obese where you need a lot of assistance. You know, he had like some sort of cane, like a fat cane. And I'm like, sweet Rufus fat caned his way downtown just to support me. He was like, I'll be there, baby. That's it. When I say it, that's it. <laughs> and he was there. Rufus always came. I wish I could find him now. And I pray he doesn't have diabetes. But um, so I would beg people to come and then, you know, I'd get my three audience members yep. and I would get to go up. Sometimes I wouldn't. Sometimes I only get two paying members and then they wouldn't let me go on. Oh, so, really? They were yeah. strict. They it, were really strict. It would be. They don't was, screw around with the three audience members. <laughs> no. Yeah. What do you do? So like when I hear kind of how comedians first start out, the thing that catches my attention is five minutes, seven minutes. Like. Most people, I think, are like, oh, you know, the comedy show I watched or the special on Netflix is like 30 minutes, an hour, right? Yeah. That's a big difference between five minutes and 30 minutes. Like, I've heard, uh, you know, we're talking about Kevin Hart and stuff, uh, them talk about like, look, it's hard to write 30 minutes or an hour's worth of content, but five minutes and seven minutes sounds really short. Like, is it more difficult to do it for a very now, short period of time? Now it feels very difficult to me because okay. now that I'm headlining, I'm doing an hour. So I, I don't like doing short sets. Also, Got I'm it. a storyteller. So I like to be able to like let a joke breathe. And I'm not, I don't write like monologue style jokes, which mm -hmm. are very quick, clean, you know, like like very crisp, good late night jokes. So when I do like the Tonight Show or something, I've done mm -hmm. it a couple times. And it's like, it's a lot of work for me because I have to condense, condense, you know, mm -hmm. so... Um, and you have to be a lot cleaner. Mm -hmm. Conan, you can be a little dirtier, which I appreciate. But whenever I do one of those late night five minute sets, it's much more work for me than doing a twenty minute set because I have to really. You don't have a lot, a long time for the crowd to get to know you, mm -hmm. and you're trying to say a lot really quickly about yourself. So you have to kind of find what's the best part of this, what's the cleanest part of this, where's the biggest laugh in this. Late mm -hmm. night is very technical. You have to listen to your set a million times and hear where the laughs are and where they aren't and kind of just clean all the fat away. Do, do you, like when you're practicing, so you write whatever the jokes are going to be, kind of uh, the content, do you actually read it out loud, record it, and like re-listen to yourself? Do you practice mm -hmm. with like an audience? Like, How, how do you actually I prepare? tape my sets and then I listen to them. But see, a lot of times it's so brutal listening to yourself because you just – you hear all your dumb verbal tics and you're just like, oh, I stink. Why does anyone watch me? You know, it's mm -hmm. very difficult. But you have to work through that and listen to yourself. I find because that's the way you get better. So yep. when I started, I wish I listened to myself more because I could have seen all these weird erratic things that I was doing that now I see on these old tapes. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just so clear to me that if I listened to myself more early on, I, I would have grown so much faster. What's the weirdest thing that you look back now and you're like, how did I ever get here doing that? I mean, 
God, everything. But but you know, some comics have told me like there's this comic Billy Burr who's Bill Burr. Um, we all call him Billy, you know. But he's got to be Bill. professional when he's on the stage. It's <laughs> Bill. But uh, I remember Billy saying like. Because I was like, every time I look at one of my last specials, I'm just like, oh, shut up. Like, what was I saying? Just like rambling all my big attitudinal like points I needed to make. And he's like, that's good. That means you're growing. Like, you mm-hmm. should look at your last special and just want to close yourself like a box. If you mm-hmm. look at your last special and you're like, I was really on to something. Like, you know, it's kind of, there is some of it where that's the nature of growth. You want to mm-hmm. be a little bit like kind of over what you were saying five years ago, if you're evolving as a comic. But... When you first start, it's it's very you're doing all kinds of little technical things that you need to hear yourself doing because you're so nervous in the beginning mm-hmm. that you're you're not in control. So it's like a real wild experience yeah. when you start stand up. When when you've done enough, how many shows do you think you've done? I mean, thousands and thousands. thousands. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I've been doing it for for year for like almost twenty years, and yeah, since I first moved to New York. So and how many shows a year do you think you do? Like See, I'm not good at math. This is where That's I fine. get real sleepy. But you, you I do a couple guess. shows at night, and then and then maybe some people in here can crunch the numbers on that. But I do like couple a couple shows, shows a night. night. Yeah, like and tonight I have three spots. Yeah. Okay, so you do three shows tonight, which is a Thursday, and you'll do that Thursday, Friday, Saturday. You'll do it like every night of the week. What? Most nights a week, yeah. Oh, okay. It, it, it depends. Some nights you end up not doing any shows, or if you have something you have to go to or yep. do, or so you can yeah. do like ten to fifteen shows in a week, easy. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. especially so, if you're working on something or you're working on a special. But when I'm on the road. I do longer times, like 45 minutes or an hour. So when I do those long sets, I'll do less shows. You know? Got it. So when I'm so like, I'm not a mathematician either, but if you do 10 shows a week times 52 weeks, it's 520. That's a lot of shows in a that year. That's fucking impressive as shit. Yeah, I used a calculator. <laughs> uh, don't tell anybody. Uh, all right. So you have gone from uh, the first five minutes where you're absolutely hammered and you don't even know how to speak into the microphone to now you have a Netflix show, you got an Amazon show. You, there's too many shows for me to actually remember them all. How do you break out of like the dark, weird paying club with shitty food in New York City to you have a Netflix show? Like how does like how does that happen? Um, over a, a lot of time, but and everybody's story is different. Okay. But for me, it just comics. Comics helped mm-hmm. me out. So comics that had more power than I did would put me on things and get me work. So that was like the big. But like, what does that mean? Me. Right. So like. You're at some comedy club and, you know, you're doing your thing. People are laughing, whatever. Somebody comes up to you and is like, hey, I think that you should tomorrow come to this other show somewhere else. And yeah, or a TV show. Like, you should do this part on my thing or my sketch show or whatever. So, um, And it can go either way. Like, I remember one of the first times I did, um, I started playing at, like, a regular comedy club. And they gave me five minutes. And I went on after Tracy Morgan. And he killed. Like, he did, like. He's not even funny. <laughs> he did like 20 minutes on how to fuck a bitch like he was like how to really you got to punish her and it was like the nastiest set, but like crushing you know it was all like here's how you fuck a bitch let me just like and it was very organized too like here this is the step. this is the point where like 97 yeah. percent of all the finance folks just stop listening <laughs> <laughs> but go ahead yeah. but anyway so and then i went on after tracy and I did like a minute and somebody, this comic told me once, he was like, you should, if you're bombing really bad, just say the most honest thing that comes to your mind and the crowd will respect your honesty. I was bombing. They wanted Tracy back. They were furious. And I said, it's my 22nd birthday. That was like the most honest thing I could think of. I remember this woman goes, 22 years of not being funny. <laughs> <laughs> 
And then she slowly high-fived her entire table. I still remember that barrage of high-fives. It was the kind of bomb where your everything slows down, like your depth perception is somehow affected. And yeah, so What do you do in that situation? I mean, you just try not to kill yourself. But stand-up is so, is so exciting when it do- goes well that you're addicted to it. And yeah, luckily, yeah. I have no other skills. So I always wanted to be one of those people that was like, I could have been a doctor, but I made this like noble decision to leave it all for the arts. But, yeah. like, I was a terrible student, and yeah, that's what I like to do, imitate people and talk shit. So. And when you go to these shows, uh, I either thankfully or unthankfully have never been at a show where like people have started heckling and roasting the person on stage. Yeah. I'm assuming that every comedian's been in a situation where, whether oh, it's yeah. a, a one off. I was one-off. on stage in Alabama, and in the middle of my show, I talk about this in my Netflix special. This guy just stood up and he goes, You have a camel toe. That happened to me. That was a moment in my life. And I didn't think I did, but I couldn't like look down because the whole audience would look with me. And then this whole, this woman across the room stood up and she goes, No, she doesn't have a camel toe. I thought the same thing at first. <laughs> so now the audience has turned into like a town hall meeting about my crotch. And she goes, it's not a camel toe. It's the way the lad is hitting on her trousers. And he was like, no, no, that's legit camel. So that's a moment in my life. Like you hurl yourself around to these strange towns and have <laughs> unspeakable things said to you. But then you also have the best sets and the yep. most fun. And yeah. And, and so when you leave, are you like, well, that went well? <laughs> or are you like, wow, I hope I'm never in that situation again? Well, the camel toe thing, um, the guy got kicked out. It was funny because as he was getting Oh, so that's like off li- Like even, e- there are rules in the places. Yeah, like, you, you really can't, can't say, say okay. to a comic that she has camel toe. I mean, that's not written on a wall somewhere, but yeah. they'll probably throw you out if you do that. He said it. Yeah. So, so he can say it, just there's punishment. <laughs> you can say it. Yeah, you okay. just have to All leave. Right. But, but is that common where somebody will stand up and like heckle? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. People heckle. People don't usually, like, in your average show, like, they'll run a tight ship, like at the Comedy Cellar where I play downtown. They tell the crowd, like, don't talk to the comics unless they talk to you. Yeah, exactly. But it does happen, of course, when you're on the road and drunks and, you know, people scream all kinds of insane stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, And they also just don't understand. People don't understand what their responsibility is as an audience member and often they're shit-faced. So you'll be in the middle of a story and like somebody will be like, I do that too. Me and my friends are crazy. And you're like, no, 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 it's not. This isn't your moment right now, <laughs> Kelly. And she's like, oh my God, thank you. Like if you tell her she's just mad, she's like, but everything's me. It's yeah, yeah. Me. <laughs> so and everybody thinks they're like the funny kids and they'll come up to you after your show and be like, I'm funny. And they just sort of fall over. Do you, yeah. do you try to, like if somebody tries to interrupt you, do you try to just incorporate it into the piece? Yeah, you try yeah. to just like mock them and quickly address them. Yeah. You know? the, so uh, I think the question on everyone's mind when they talk to comedians is like, as the comedian, where should people sit and not sit in the arena? Like, <laughs> if you don't like is there get, is there a safe zone? If you don't want comics to talk to you, just sit in the yeah, sit in the back. Sit know? in the back. Yeah. But like some comedians I've seen, and I won't name names, but uh, but Sam does this. Um, <laughs> they'll like intentionally be like, "Who's sitting in the back? Who's hiding from me?" And then like they'll go right there. So it's like the back or the front. I feel like are both not safe zones. If you don't talk to the comic, the chances are they probably won't address you. They might if you're wearing like something like Ridiculous. really jarring and noticeable, yeah. or if they hear you say something to your friend loudly, they might pick on you or you know so if you have your phone out or if you're doing yeah it's just like some dumb twatty thing 
um, and uh, then they might they might you know give you some shit. But for the most part, if it, the most dangerous vulnerable spot would be right in the front row because the host usually warms up the crowd and they just take a they kind of survey who's around and yeah, it's easy. They're sitting right there. Shit. And some people love it. Some people like will wear like a dumb Hawaiian top just so that someone makes fun of it. It's kind of fascinating. Yeah, yeah, eh, that's fun. They probably want to be comedians but realize they can't be funny. So that's the best way to be part of the show. Um, <laughs> all right, so. When you're recording for Netflix, Amazon, et cetera, mm-hmm. do you know that it's being recorded? Do they record like 10 different sets and then they try to pick the best one? Oh, How no, it's like work? a special taping. So okay. you, they know. And, so they're like, know, hey, game time. There's there. And yeah, whenever I'm taping an, an, a TV special, I know. And it's been booked and approved and it's gone through standards and practices. And, you know, legal people have looked at it and said how many times I'm allowed to say twat. And they've been like, you've only, you're only so one of my twats. questions. Yeah. Are there, do they censor you? Yeah, it depends on what network you're playing, and and um, but there's always some level of censorship. Uh, sometimes it could be a brand issue, you mm-hmm. know, like you can't say this brand, um, or we have a good relationship with that brand, you can say them, or you'll have to substitute a word, and, and, and sometimes that works out fine, but sometimes just like specific is funny. You're like, yeah, yeah. Ah, it's funnier in this joke if I say the actual thing. You and know? do you like, have they seen the set before, and then that's how they're giving feedback, or do you like hand them like, hey, here's my script, like this is basically what I'm gonna say, and then If they... I'm gonna do like a television special, like my first half hour special I did for Comedy Central, I sent them a half hour tape of a performance like this is basically the special I would like to do mm-hmm. and they'll say yes you have a special and give you some notes like and that you but you can't say this and you can't say that and they'll run it through legal and sometimes you might even send a dirty set knowing that they know you're not planning on doing that but you know got it so you send and then they approve if you're gonna do a, a show like the tonight show you would always send them something clean because it's just such a clean family program you don't even yep. want to send the tonight show anything dirty you know got it so. and then uh, is it inbound or outbound like are you ever like hey you know what I haven't been on the tonight show like I'd like to do that and then you reach out to them or is it more your of like your manager your agent like now you know oh like, you have an agent yeah yeah, oh, okay. my agency would maybe like send, say, you know, say something to the Tonight Show. Sometimes they they reach out to you. You know, now I have relationships with these people. So yep. the booker of the Tonight Show, you do it a couple times, he becomes like a buddy of yours. And, yep. and uh, so like recently, I had just done Conan, and he messaged me like, "Hey, can you do this? Uh, can you do the Tonight Show on Tuesday?" I'm like, "I just burned five minutes on Conan. How am I going to write a brand new set for Tuesday?" But it was a cool thing because Jimmy was doing it out in the city, so he was going around New York and and like catching like whatever the nightlife was and so he was like it's going to be an interesting episode like conor mcgregor is going to meet him at this irish pub and then you know like next stop he'll be at the cellar so i was like yeah i should do that so i just have to cram and do like eight sets a night and just get that new five minutes together yeah all right so uh two things here one the late night show host to me is like basically comedians and late night show host uh they do whatever the hell they want, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can just imagine whether it's Jimmy Fallon, Conan, whatever. So like, ah, I think tomorrow night we should uh, let's just go to the clubs and talk to all the idiots who are drunk standing outside. <laughs> and uh, oh, Conor McGregor's in town. Like, let's meet him. Like, yeah. they just come up with these ridiculous things, and it's basically like if you and your friends sat around a room and said, "What's the most ridiculous thing we could go do in film?" Yeah. These guys are just like that's what they do for their jobs, that's right? It, yeah, and that's how it is. Like when you're doing a comedy show, or you're involved in a comedy show. It's always fun because you're just you're you're sitting. Your brainstorming sessions are just like what unacceptable nonsense can we get away with? You know, I remember doing this like segment for this Comedy Central pilot that I was doing where I was like. We were thinking of different pranks, and so I was like, oh, how about I'll pretend to be a stripper at this bachelor party, and then um, as I start to, like, give the guys a dance, 
um, I'll just start like weeping or complaining about my like personal problems and um, or doing like really heinous dances, you know. So I was like, I'll do some sort of like Russian foul jig. I just I was basically just like, how can I make it so these guys don't even want to lap dance yep, anymore? Yep. We did a thing where we had a child actor come in and and um, I pretended like it was my kid and I was like, like I'm so sorry, you don't mind like my son's here, like his father's supposed to and. One of the guys was like, yeah, nah, no problem. I just get over with or whatever. And so I put this child in the corner, like gave him some crayons, right? This actor. And this douche was still just like, all right, get it over with. You know, like he was still just absolutely ready and rearing to go for his lap dance. And then I gave the kid like things to draw. And this is like what writers will brainstorm. I was like, yep. we should have him draw like me with like a needle in my arm. You know, like he's like clearly every red flag the kid is drawing is just like a cry for help. So it's just like mom on a pole. You yep, know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like our mom with like a vague. And you guys words. are just, and you guys just sitting in this like a circle. This is what comedy writers would sit around and just talk shit about all the different ways we can fuck with these poor guys. We're just trying to have a fun-loving bachelor party. Yep. <laughs> so, so one of them was we made like fake tapes that I could do as I was like about to strip. So one of them was like, like you've made the decision to terminate a pregnancy. There's nothing wrong with that decision, you know. And so the, I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, wrong like track. You know? Yeah. yeah. So like all the things, the most <laughs> jarring, horrific thing a man could hear right when he was about to give a lap dance. I just kept acting like I pressed the wrong button. I'm like, oops, a Daisy, I've done it again, you know. Yeah. And then I just started doing like the dumbest, most heinous dance. We didn't get them a second stripper like in the main part of the apartment. See, this is the kind of thing that comics would sit around and try to figure out. We're like, we don't infuriate these guys. So we had like a regular. We'll have like hired. a joke and then we'll have like a regular person that yes. we bring in. So after I put them through my, like, and they're just as flaccid as the day is long after I put them through my nonsense and they'll just go back and get to finish their actual party and maybe they'll be more likely to sign the release, you know, so. So you record it and then get the releases later. Yeah. And then we would get the releases later. And then, yeah. uh, does anybody say like, no way? Oh yeah. I mean, most yeah. of the guys said no, but it was a pilot. So we could just like put a bar over their eyes. A couple of the guys did sign. Um, I have no idea why. I mean, it was definitely a huge mistake. Yeah. If it ever aired, they would have definitely cock-blocked them in the future. Yeah. But um, but some of the guys did sign. And you have, like, ways you get people to sign. Like, one time I did this thing where I wore a wedding dress, and I was trying to, like, hit on guys in the wedding dress. Like, how many men will go home with a woman who's, like, actively about to get married? You know, like... Like, and so I would just went up to guys at Grand Central in this, like, big gown and told some insane story, like, about my boyfriend and how he just, like, screwed me over, my fiancé, and then I'm, and then I kind of, like, slowly fall apart. This particular bit was called red, called red flags, so I would just basically say every red flag. Like, how many red flags will a man ignore if he wants to get laid? And just, yeah, yeah. what will he just dismiss if he wants to insert himself inside of anything, you know? Ballpark, like, less than five or, like, more than 20? <laughs> it got pretty crazy. Like, we had, like, this abused doll that we gave me that would fall out of my purse while I was talking to the guys. <laughs> like, and it's just, like, a doll that we'd, like, cut the hair up. So yeah, comics yeah. are, like, writing, like, on, with a marker on this doll, just, like, slide on a doll's forehead. Well, cause to, to me, the part of like a lot of this stuff that's so funny is uh, there's like truth to what you're trying to show, right? Like, like there is yeah. art to it, right? Of like we're trying to show human behavior. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And so in that situation, like I can imagine some people are like, "Get the hell away from me!" Right? Some people are like, you know, "Yes, I'm all in." Whatever you know, whatever yeah. you're trying to prove. Uh, but I think if I'm in. New York, and somebody comes up and starts saying anything crazy, I immediately think, like... That you're being pranked. Just something, yeah. right? I mean, there's, there's been too many shows at this point. Like, you see somebody come up, and they got some wild story. Like, every New Yorker has, you know, perfected the, like, hand wave without even saying anything. It's just like, like, just leave me alone, 
And no, it is right? getting harder and harder because people know you, you, you must be full of shit. Like you're in the middle of Grand Central picking on tourists, right? In a wedding gown. But sometimes what you do is now that people are so savvy is that I would just sit there and weep like in this wedding gown until a man approached me. So sometimes ah. you would wait. But I mean, I do feel vaguely guilty about all of this. Although sometimes people are really happy to be on television. I, I wouldn't feel guilty about it at all. They probably but, think it's funny to some degree. Yeah, a lot, right? sometimes people actually are like glad that you did it. But uh, I dropped all the stuff out of my bag like... Um, you know, we put the dumbest stuff, just like all these pills. So this guy would just help me with my pills and be like, I'm like, where are we going again? Like, and I'm already calling him babe. I'm like, babe, where are we going? We need to get out of, like in my gown. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So some guys would ignore like all kinds of like insane nonsense. They'd pick the doll up, like give it a good look. Like if you pick up an abused doll out of a woman's purse and see that it says slut on its forehead, you know, it's time to just like go home. Yeah, watch Just walk porn. away. Yeah, just go watch you porn. Get away. <laughs> and, and do you guys, like, in a situation like that, does the camera crew come out of, like, and, like, surprise them? And be like, ah, you, like, you've been pranked type stuff? I remember, like, Ashton Kutcher had a show where, like, then at the end they basically said, you've been pranked, and they got to see the reaction? In this particular Comedy Central pilot, we didn't we didn't okay. tell them. We didn't use their reactions, but we um, we just kind of cut together all the different stuff. There's so got many it. funny things that happen. You have to make choices. It's like, I loved a lot of their reactions, but... You have to kind of just streamline all this stuff yep. that happens. And these guys that are in the show called Impractical Jokers, one of them came at the end. And he was like my husband trying to to like make up with me, you know? So I've we, actually yeah. seen that show and it's pretty funny. It's hilarious. Those like, guys are great. So yeah. for those that don't know, Impractical Jokers is basically, uh, I think it's four guys. Yeah. Um, and they're all like buddies. Uh, they select one of them to go into a situation. So they'll be like, hey, go into the mall. And they have an earpiece. And the whole game is the other three guys basically tell them what to do or say. And the person who is the, you know, the, the guy in the mall has to do or say whatever his friend's saying. And if they don't, they lose. And so they'll be like, hey, walk up to that woman right there and say, you know, X. And you can imagine, you know, it's the most outrageous kind of inappropriate things possible that they think they <laughs> can do. But it's such away. a fun thing to do. I used to do it with. Hysterical. I used to co-host this show with Shaq on True TV and he would let me take his phone and text Barkley. It's my favorite thing to do. So I just text Barkley like the dumbest stuff, like as, as if I was Shaq. I'd be like, I feel sad sometimes. <laughs> Why would he text Barkley that? You know, I'd be like. And what would Charles Barkley respond to? I wrote, I wrote like, um, I feel like we don't do enough together. Like, <laughs> Like you don't spend enough time with me. Like, I just acted like a needy friend. I was like, I want to do more stuff with you. We should go to Pottery Barn. And <laughs> Barkley wrote back, I'd rather get a pedicure with Dwight Howard than go to Pottery Barn with you. Barkley was pretty funny. But Shaq would just give me his phone and let me text, like, they, unacceptable stuff to everybody. Yeah. They're not comedians, but they, they probably should be because on Shaq TNT. Shaq is hilarious. I used to love Inside the NBA. That was, like, one of so my favorite funny. things to watch ever. Yes. Because they would trash each other the way comedians do. I remember Barkley so had on these tube socks this one episode of Inside the NBA, and they're trying to discuss a play, and they just keep cracking up. Like, why would he wear tube socks with the <laughs> slacks and a tube, and tube socks? They're just trashing his socks. And they can't even focus on the play. Shaq would just stop, like, walk, walk me through. What you <laughs> Why would you put on a nice socks and, and get a white puffy tube socks? You're dumb. And they would just trash each other the whole episode. So I used to love stuff like that. I, I don't know if you've seen the clip recently, but uh, it's the two of them. They're at a game, so it's not on the set. It's actually mm -hmm. like you know overlooking the game. And uh, and Charles is, I think he's he's eating uh, chicken fingers. And Shaq just starts teeing off on him, calling him fat, you know, the whole thing. <laughs> and at one point, it gets pretty serious where you can tell they're actually getting mad at each other. And, uh, and Shaq hits him with, like, shut up before I come over there and, you know, beat your fat ass or, you know, <laughs> whatever. And, uh, and my favorite is Kenny and, and uh, I forget the other guy. But they're kind of in the middle. And Kenny's usually la laughing and, you know, mm -hmm. he's kind of egging both of them on. 
But then the other guy, he's like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> like, like he's the adult that's supposed to keep everybody in line, and then he just lost control in this one segment. <laughs> and so it, it, it is exactly how comedians, I would picture them all hanging out. That's what we do. We just, like, lay around and trash each other all day. I mean, we're such, like, children. So it was really fun to do that show with Shaq because he, that's how he is, too. He's just exactly how you would imagine him. He's, like, a big kid. He talks to everyone. He loves to be mocked. Before each each like segment, he'd be like, "Make fun of how I can't shoot a free throw." Like he just wanted you to make fun of him, you know, be like, "Trash how big my hips have gotten," you know. Like he would just give you ideas of what to say about him. And whenever I came on, he would be like, "She's the Jewish Nicki Minaj." Like thicker than a snicker. This Rachel Feinstein. Like so, he was just silly and fun, and yeah, and loved it when you mocked him. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's just enjoying life. He's the best guy. He was so fun. We would just like go to lunch, and people would walk up to him and bother him, and I'm like. How does he go anywhere? And he would talk to everyone. I remember oh, really? this woman who walked up. We're in the middle of the meal. Like, we're eating lunch, the cast. And she just walks up to him. And she was like, um, she's like, I'm sorry to bother you, but I'm a nurse. And I just wanted you to make a video for me where you could just say, like, I'm the best nurse that's ever existed. And, and my name's Gina. So if you could just say, like, Gina's the best nurse. And you'd think, like, he's literally chewing his food but he just puts his he'd be furious right but he just puts his fork down he's like Gina is the finest nurse of all the nurses in all the land he's like no one can fuck with Gina nobody can fuck with Gina I'm telling you right now I give him my seal of approval Gina's neighborhood approved and he was just like immediately did it everything she asked him to do and he was like that he was as delightful as you would want him to be Like, he but he probably shit. goes back and he's talking to like Charles Barkley he's like you won't believe this this woman came up to me <laughs> right and he's like and I said she's the finest nurse in all the land <laughs> and Charles is like that's pretty funny man <laughs> all right so now you, you you've done a whole bunch of stuff but you uh you've got this show uh historical roast mm-hmm. which uh is pretty incredible that they've put this on the air right but it also is pretty funny where you basically take the role of a historical figure and then you roast each other and so like Anne Frank, Hitler, Martin Luther King, etc. Like just describe what the point of it is. And uh, the show w- is part of a six-part series on Netflix and they basically they roast historical figures. They actually roast like heroes. So it's like Martin Luther King or like Lincoln, Anne Frank, and the idea is But not Hitler. Give, Hit- not Hitler. Hitler is on the roast playing himself. Like I was Anne Frank in the Anne Frank roast. And Hitler serves on the dais. So it's like uh. all these characters and Anne Frank's you know the the, uh, so Hitler is roasting Anne Frank. No, no. Well, yes, but um, in the end, yes, he is. That is correct. But in the end, kind of the idea is that you give the heroine or the hero the last laugh. So, got it. Yes, got it. Got it. They got it. all are roasting, but really, it's more of a roast of like World War II itself. You know, it's just yep. like this big kind of historical dialogue with jokes. But you you hopefully learn about the historical character in the process. Like you learn got her it. whole life story, and it's kind of a, a tribute to the person. Um, so the idea of it, you just hear, like, you're going to roast Anne Frank. You know, like, and Jeff starts a special, like, welcome to the roast of Anne Frank and the end of my career, you know. So the idea of it, uh, it sounds, like, you know, like, appalling. But if you actually watch all of them, it's really a tribute. That's what a roast it. is. So it's, See, it's th- just a way to, to inform people about people with, with jokes, you know. You're talking about, like, the nuances of art and then, like, mm-hmm. the intersection of, like, I'll just call it, like, the PC culture, right? I mean, just right. the, the, the belief that, like, how could you ever say that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and without getting into, like, the, all the political pieces of it, how do you deal with 
you know, that segment, for example, somebody takes something out of context, right? And then also some people are tweeting at you and they're going crazy. Like, how could you possibly ever, you know, do this that you're yeah. so disrespectful, but you know, all that kind of stuff. Like I'm assuming people do it one, may, correct me if oh, I'm wrong. Yeah. And then like, how do you handle that? Are you just like, shut up? Uh, I wish I could say I don't care, but I okay. do care. You know, I want people to think I'm a nice girl. I want people to see where I'm coming from. I want them to understand why I said yep. something, but they're not. They're not going to all understand that. Yep. So, it's, do you, do you it's, like respond and you try to explain it? Or? No, I really stop responding. Okay. You know, I used to, and I would like write back to people. And, you know, I mean, there was some guy in one of my videos named Mr. Twat Waffles, uh, and he just like wrote under some YouTube video, like some you know, complete attack of what I was trying to do. And then I'm like, at a certain point, I'm like, why am I defending myself to Mr. Twat Waffles 76? Like, just, you know, let it go, you know? I'm arguing with, like, yeah, some Mississippi teenager. You yeah, know? yeah, What am I doing right now? <laughs> so I do want everyone to understand me and want them to understand where I'm coming from and not judge me. But they're going to judge you, and some people aren't going to like you. And, you know, I wish I could say, like, I don't care, but I do. I definitely care, but you just have to care less, you know? So every time you do a special or a thing... You get, you know, lovely, supportive tweets, and then you get, um, like, in my last uh, TV thing I did, the guy just wrote, uh, Dear Rachel, you've gained weight. No, you're getting heavy. <laughs> but I like that he wrote Dear Rachel. Like, it just started like it was going to be like a It was like a friend, like a pen yeah. pal. <laughs> exactly. Dear Rachel, and then just, you're getting heavy. Do you um, respond? No. I mean, I don't respond. But, like... And then sometimes I've gotten things like there's some guy named Dr. Dumpster Fire um, that wrote under my videos like uh, they help each other hate me. Dr. Dumpster Fire was like, she's particularly awful here. And then this other guy named Hate Female Comics was like, oh, yeah, look at three, four. (laughs) Like, why am I reading anything? His screen name is Hate Female Comics. And Mr. Twat Waffles and Hammer like helping each other be against me. So people just aren't going to like you. You can't do anything about it. I do care. It gets to me sometimes, but not as much as I used to because I'm used to it. When I first did like Last Comic Standing, which is this this reality show and kind of how I was able to like quit my day job and stuff, that was the first time that I had gotten like a taste of like what happens when Mm -hmm. you're on TV and there's just all these people dissecting you and... Like, everybody had decided in this one, like, Reddit thing that, like, I was only advancing in the show because I was, like, sleeping with the producer because we were both Jews, who I only met, like, maybe twice. He was just, like, this... So you didn't sleep with him? No, I did not put out in terms of... I don't think Barry even hit on me, but I believe his name was Barry. But, yeah, I was, like, he was just sort of, like, this kindly man I'd met once or twice, but people had entire theories about why, you know, and I'm, like, I've been on the road for years, like... And I wanted to like I want them to know what it really means to get to that point. But it's like Dread fuck it. it, they're not gonna know, yeah. you know. They're so, all in on the conspiracy theories. Exactly. It's more and fun I, that way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like I'd like everybody to know where I'm coming from, but some people also like to be offended. It makes them feel good mm-hmm. if they have something to be outraged about. So they can just hear the roast of Anne Frank. Like, you can't do that. That's disgusting. That's appalling. But watch it. It's a tribute to her with jokes. It's yeah, a yeah. way to get millennials to learn about Anne Frank that would do, never have known do who Do people write articles about, like, in the outrage culture type stuff? And yeah. it just drives more viewership, Yes, and there are. There are a lot of articles about the roast itself and, like, you know, how horrific the idea is that you mm-hmm. could do this. And then there's a lot of positive ones, too. So you, you realize, like, oh, people are going to start to stick up for you and the right people will read it and get where you're coming from. And, yep. and um, you know, the idea of it does sound kind of shocking. But then if you watch it, you just see, like, oh, it's just a way to, like, 
that's the way that like Jews have always coped with pain, just like dark, weird humor about yep. about the horrors of life, you know. And I think that the people that are really suffering, like in this country, the person that's like you know on a bus taking a kid to a cancer treatment or something, just the real, the really saddest, worst things that you could go through. I think those people aren't the ones complaining. Like those people are are, are grateful for a laugh, you know, for and, sure, and and use it in their own life to cope with like unfair, unimaginable circumstances. So, but the people. People that are often the outraged people that are they wake up and they're like, what am I going to be, you know, like really upset about today? I feel like a lot of them have very like cozy light. It's a luxury to stop and decide what offends you every day. You know, of course. What yeah. uh, how many people you think you've blocked on Twitter? Oh, my God. Hundreds, so thousands. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. a, mixture. a lot. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, yeah. So definitely. Definitely hundreds. I mean, it's a mixture of that or it'll be like. Like for Anne Frank, it was just like people telling me I was disgusting or it would be like. Like I dress, they dress me like a schoolgirl. So it'd be like just like highly sexual, like somewhat shocking tweets from guys you have to block about like, yeah, is it weird that I just beat Dan Frank? And I'm like, why do you need to tell me that? You know, like it's just funny. The internet is yeah, wild. Yeah, people will just like DM you like, is it strange that outfit did something for me? Also, why tell anyone when you beat off? Like you don't need to put it in a Fitbit or something. Like yeah, just quietly beat off and like maybe don't DM someone and let them know you did it. But, uh, yeah, it's just, like, alarming, like, highly sexual messages or um, just, like, outrage, outrage. And then there's, like, really great, like, supportive people. Yeah, just yeah. like, hey, we loved your set at the cellar last night. Or when are you going to do another special? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, absolutely. So, what, yeah. what, um, so are you worried at all about, like, um, things that you did five, ten years ago that at the time were, you know, quote, unquote, not part of the outrage culture that now all of a sudden everyone freaks out about. Yeah, if people definitely. like go and, and like the dig it up. That can be taken out of context. And like, does that change the things that you say today? Because you're like, oh, I wonder in 10 years if it's going to be inappropriate to like do X or are you just like whatever? I mean, I try to be like aware to some degree how something comes out because you want because you do want people to understand you, you want people to understand. But there's some people that won't. Um, and yeah, I look back at a joke I made 10 years ago that I just probably wouldn't make now. Just like the way people use words now, they wouldn't mm-hmm. use words. It be, words become offensive over time that didn't used to be. And I don't even think there's anything wrong with that. Like, you know, it's like, there's like my grandfather says like Oriental, like yeah, that's not really cool. It's not a good look, you know? I mean, he's dead now, but Zadie, that wasn't good. <laughs> um, so yeah, and then you, but you grow and emerge. And so yeah. you look at something you said and you're just like, yeah, I was like, I well, sounded you, like a you, wild moron then. Yeah, but if you take like, I don't know if Oriental necessarily fits into this or not, but there are definitely words that at one point, like that was actually the like PC way to describe something, right? right. And, and, and like the language was, that was a, a positive and now it's completely gone the other way and now it's a negative, right? Because yeah. there's some things that are just like, oh, you know, that wasn't cool anymore, right? And so it was, it was neutral, now it's negative, like, okay, we kind of expect that. But I think the big shifts of like, wow, this thought process was encouraged at one point, now mm-hmm. we're actually like all freaking out on the internet over it. How did that happen in 30 years? Yeah. <laughs> right? like, yeah. like, that was a pretty big shift, right? Um, and it seems like comedians, part of your job is to offend people, but do it in an artful way to make people laugh to, um, you know, I think you said earlier, like kind of be an asshole, but also like have a point to it. Yeah, and so, I think so yeah. that can be very quickly, you know, again, 10 years later, all of a sudden people are like, oh, I can't believe you said that. Yeah. And also, I just feel like people need to hear people out. So like, there's a story I tell where I talk about this guy picking me up on the road in my last, I think it's in my last special, I'm not sure. But 
and just like what it's like to be on the road and how they'll just send like any sex offender to go pick you up from the airport. And uh, this guy picked me up and he was like, you was the first Jewish that I had ever met in my life, which I guess is better than being his last Jewish. I'm not sure. But uh, you'll just get into some, like, you know, those, I got into cars like where these people are like crackling with madness. And so I'm just discussing my life as a comic. And somebody wrote me this long thing about like, you know, like that's disgusting and not all Southern people hate Jews. I'm like, obviously not. I'm speaking about one specific unstable <laughs> man that picked me up from an airport, you know. So sometimes people are having an argument in their own heads that has yep. nothing to do with you. And yep. I'm like, yeah. So now I can't actually tell a story of something that happened to me, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, do, you, do you tell people like if you're sitting on a plane and they ask like, what do you do for a living? You tell me you're a comedian? Sometimes not, honestly. Sometimes I just try to say something real boring, depending on the mood I'm in. Because they're like, yeah. "Hey, tell me a joke," right? Yeah, like, yeah. Like I mean, I get if this... you don't feel it funny, then people, then people will just be like, "I've actually had a flight where somebody was like, you're a comedian, like, we'll be funny right now." <laughs> <laughs> but they just—it's not like that with certain other careers. Like, you wouldn't ask a doctor to operate on you immediately, or something. Yeah. Hey, yeah. fix my knee. <laughs> and they'll, they'll, they'll actually look at me. This happened once. This guy looked at me at the end of a flight, and he was like, "You went, you went actually very good." Like, it, like he really believed the flight itself was a show, and that I had bombed. And I'm like, I was just gently resting, you know. Like, I, I hope I wasn't. Yeah. 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 So, uh, so I, I recently sat uh, on a plane next to a guy who. Uh, Immediately, I could tell he was a talker, and mm-hmm. so I, you know, I put the AirPods in. Like I'm like actively trying to make it obvious I'm not trying to talk, and uh, I look at him, and he's got his phone, and he's um, taking pictures, but he's doing it in only the way that an 80 year old could take pictures. So he's mm-hmm. holding it up like it's you know he's reading the newspaper and can barely see, and then he's punching it with his index finger like taking pictures of you. No, 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 taking pictures out the window. Right out the window, right? But the pictures, uh, I, I, I almost felt bad. I literally almost at one point took his phone from him and took a picture for him because every single picture he took, half of it was out the window and half of it was like the side of the plane, like the. <laughs> so he just like had like bad aim, and so he, he probably took no lie like 40 photos right and so <laughs> puts his phone down whatever uh i get up to go to the bathroom and when i came back he like saw his opportunity so he leans over and he goes uh i'm going to new york uh for father's day right mm-hmm. and i was like uh you know congratulations uh, i think you probably have like grandkids or great grandkids he's like i'm 80 my, i'm going to see my sister she's 84 i've had two heart attacks i've had two knee re- and he goes into this whole spiel and i literally in my head was like if you want to get out of this conversation alive, like just put the AirPods in right now. <laughs> and I couldn't bring myself to do it, but it was him just talking. And I was sitting here thinking like, wow, if you're a comedian, I'm sure people are literally like, once they hear that you're a comedian, game over, right? They're just like, well, tell, what about this? Tell me this joke, what, what you know, perform. And I've heard yeah. Kevin Hart talk about it in the sense of like, he's like, sometimes I don't want to perform. Yeah. Sometimes I just want to like eat my food, right? Like I don't mm-hmm. want to actually tell you a joke. I don't have a joke for you. Like go away. Yeah, we have other aspects to our character, too. So people are very confused like that with comedians. You're just like, you might have a lovely conversation and no one's being funny. And, and they, they're just like, but you're not in, like a jack-in-the-box. Like, yeah, they just... It's funny because my husband and I were set up and, and his friends called him up. And here's how he described me. And I always think about this because I feel like it's just like how sometimes people see comedians. It's actually such an insulting description. But his buddy called him up and he was like, how would you like to meet a semi-famous Jewish jokester? <laughs> It's <laughs> like the least arousing phrase a man could possibly hear. Like it sounds like a character from Fiddler on the Roof, like just some elder selling riddles. 
a jokester. jokester. Yeah, like I can't. Yeah, that's the phrase you hear as a man. You're like, well, I'll stay in on a Friday yeah. night. Like I'll take my chances and stay inside. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I was thinking like some people see you as that. Like a, they think that you're just like dispensing yeah riddles or something. Even my 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 father-in-law like we'll go out to dinner with them and I'm like, well, you didn't say anything funny tonight. You know, we'll be your jokes. I thought you had some jokes. So he just doesn't understand. Yeah. yeah. So, he thought before dinner you were like putting together a set for him and, and yeah. he's going to get like a, a unique experience. Um, all right. You live in New York. Uh, finance is prevalent here. I wanted you to come on the podcast because I feel like everyone in finance and especially in crypto uh, and Bitcoin think that like their world is the world. They don't realize mm-hmm. that people outside might be laughing <laughs> and like, <laughs> hey, you guys all look like idiots. Uh, what is your perspective of like the finance world in New York coming from not that world? I mean, I know nothing about finance uh, at all. Which got me but... more excited to have you come on because I was like, perfect. She'll just so, say I mean, what she means. Part of it is that I'm just like vaguely impressed. The same reason I didn't want to walk in the room. I'm like, oh, these are like wise people that deal with, you know, real things and aren't just like, you know, taking smack, uh, talking smack and, you know, bothering people in a wedding dress. But, uh, but by the way, they all think they're funny and they're not. So like you're, you're, you've got one leg up on them, but go ahead. Well, my husband is really into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency and he's a fireman. Firemen love Bitcoin. You know, every fireman has a safe and they all think like the government is on their way over to take their shit. You all know? right, let's get, all right, let's talk about this. So, uh, we were talking before we started recording that it's like professional athletes, firemen, police officers, like all these yes. people who you... Uh, most people look up to or think that like, oh, they're going to like, if my building's on fire, like he's going to come save me. Yeah. They're actually the ones who like trust the system the least in many cases because oh, yeah. they're like, uh, no, do you see who's on the fire department? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I'm not calling them for help. Right. Or like, I've talked he's to like, people. I can't call Vinny Scott Beanie. Fuck that. <laughs> yeah. He might not come. Right. <laughs> so like, why, like, what is it that leads them to have a save to just be like, yeah, all this could just go to zero tomorrow. I'm not exactly sure, but I do know that um, firemen in general, like, I mean, a lot of the firemen that I meet are, you know, skeptical of government and a lot of people that like, you know, Bitcoin and altcoins are, you know, they want to control their own money. And, you know, I mean... That's it's everything just, that crypto enthusiasts believe. They just believe, yes. like, kind of stronger. And some of some of it's very positive. And then mm-hmm. on the other end, um, like, you can, like, veer on, you know, paranoia. <laughs> like, you know, so some of them are like, fuck that. The government's watching me. You know, like, <laughs> the government doesn't care what you're doing in Staten Island. Yeah, they're not, like, watching you just sit in your patio with, and drink, like, beer coolers or whatever. Or um, wine coolers, sorry. We'll have to edit that. Embarrassing. <laughs> All right. So, but um, yeah. So, so every fire I mean, firemen usually have a safe because it's funny because when one of the our first dates, I was like, "What would you save in a fire?" Like, I think I was just like probably like I don't know, hoping like he would say something complimentary. You know, like if I was with you, I'd save that. But he was like, "Oh, my safe, babe." Of course, like he still says. That. I'm like, "What would you save?" He's like, "My safe," you know. Um, How did you two meet? And uh, we were set up by a, a friend of mine as a comedian, and she's married to a retired fireman. So uh, she is, her husband is a lot older than her. So his son is also a fireman. He's like our age. Got it. So um, she was like, you should be with a fireman, sweetie. She's one of these women that like has a lot of confidence. She's like Kim on like 
control and like sex in the city like she would like hand a man a matchbook and just be like think about it sort of you know like in some sort of but she didn't introduce it's not her husband's son she did it but she was like she was like you need to be with firemen sweetie they don't give a shit they're like us they say sick things all the time and i'm like yeah they they are like comics yeah um, they love, yeah, they just sit around and talk shit and, yep. so, and we're all waiting for a call. Colin Quinn was saying that at our wedding, he's a comedian and he said that in that, cause he did our wedding, my husband and I's wedding. So it's very similar. Yeah. They all say unspeakable things to each other. Yep. The only difference is like, we're the real heroes. Um, no, I'm just kidding. He's, uh, yeah, they save people's lives and we talk shit. But there are a lot of similarities, and they're very adrenaline-based careers, and they're not PC. Yep. Um, so she was like, you probably get along really well with the firemen, you know? Because I'm always in situations where I date guys, and I realize, like, I cannot be appropriate in these moments where I'm supposed to be. And um, you date a fireman, and, like, yeah, they're right You there fit right in. You. Yeah. Like, I come <laughs> home at night, and he'll, like, close the door and, like, lock the top lock, and he'll open it and be like, not Jewish, please, not Jewish, you know? And that's the kind of thing that'll make me laugh, but you can't say that, you know, like, to a normal person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we just say, like, unspeakable nonsense just say whatever. to each other all the time. Yeah. And so... Like, I put his captain's hat on after sex, and I'll be like, respect the rank. I'd like a little respect. Like, can I get a salute or whatever, you know? He has a he has a badge. I walk around, and like, I'm like, ten him! And he's like, this is CVS. Like, they just don't have the kind of gum I'm looking for. But I always, like, grab his badge. And, like, I find a badge. I would just, like, drive around looking for checkpoints. I'm like, let's use your badge all day. It's just a fun toy. (laughs) This is why only the firemen get the badge is because people like you would abuse it. Because I'm an idiot. Yeah. And he, like, actually saves people's lives. And um, people, like, salute him and stuff. But but anyway, so, yeah, we were set up. And um, we met at this, like, FDNY Christmas party, and that's where I met. And he did talk to me about Bitcoin that then, night. Yes. That night. So what? When is this? That was about three years ago. 2016. Yeah. Oh, so he yeah. was in before the big, uh, he the was last in big probably retail. Probably like eight pump. years ago. Yeah, eight or nine years ago, he got into Bitcoin. Got it. So he yeah. was really paranoid then, or really crazy <laughs> at that point. Um, all right, and what like? From- I mean, he was smart. Like, but I he tells me about this stuff, and I try to focus, and it's hard for me to understand. I mean, thank God he does because. You know, he's he got in early and he doesn't like overreact and stuff to, to the markets and what everybody's saying. But he tells me about the altcoins and I cannot remember. The names all just sound so boring, like Ethereum. That sounds like, like something that would get into your water supply and like you would have to sue because you got cancer. Like, you know what I mean? Doesn't Ethereum sound like something like Aaron Brockovich would be yeah. fighting against? Like this whole community ingested Ethereum and now they've all gone rancid. Like Ethereum is, I'm sorry, but that's not like an uplifting name. You know, they all have like Ripple coin. I mean, Ripple just sounds like a type of like dishwasher or something or like a water filtration system. Like you should have Ripple, you know, that's the best one. So the names just don't get me excited. Like Grossel coin, Grossel sort of sounds like. I don't even know know what Grossel coin is. This is, he tells me about all these, but Grossel coin. Is he buying Grossel coin? Hopefully he did. Not. I think he's okay. out of Grossel now. Okay. <laughs> I think he sold all his Grossel for good reason. It does sound like a German fairy tale or something. Like uh, well, I'm just imagining Grossel. him being like, hey, babe, uh, I bought some Grossel coin. And you're like, ah, I don't like the name of that one. Get rid of that one. <laughs> he always tells me that it, like every morning he goes through his finance on his phone and all his little like charts and graphs and watches everything and then watches all these videos of these different finance dudes. There's always like some guy adjusting his like camera in his car, kind of like half looking at himself. And I'm like, why do you have to do this when you're driving? Like, please pretend at least that you don't have to do this while you're doing an errand or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're always like kind of emotionally unavailable, but they can sort of tell you about what's happening in the finance world while they're on the road. Like, you know, they'll steal that five minutes. 
So he watches these videos every morning, and I, I'm just like fascinated with these men, you know, like and what they're doing with the rest of their days and everything. They're doing nothing. Yeah. I'm like, By the what? way, that was take 72 before it got uploaded to YouTube. <laughs> yeah, he always kind of glances at the camera like he forgot it was on, you yeah, know. Yeah. And I'm like, please, you just messed your hair up and like perfectly spritz it that way before you start your videos. But they they do. I mean, a lot of these guys. I mean, I know they're smart. I get very sleepy when they're talking because I cannot keep track of it all. But I know that um, he's sold a lot of his altcoins, and he's mainly in Bitcoin. Bitcoin. And then he always tells me that every morning he's like, ooh, Ragecoin, not looking good. <laughs> <laughs> so he always pretends like there's a Ragecoin that's just always spiraling. He's like, ooh, people are running and fast. <laughs> it's like everyone's selling. He should be the stand-up yeah. comedian then. <laughs> I know. He loves to trash Ragecoin. He's like, yikes. <laughs> it's going down. There are plenty of people on Twitter who probably think they own Ragecoin. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> but I also noticed that like a lot of the – so he watches these things every morning. So they're either guys driving – or it's like some guy in like a chair that's a little too big for him at his desk, um, and you can tell oh, the the like I want a power move, but I don't yes. d- don't realize it actually. It's basically like stupid. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Yep. And, and then he's kind of answers questions like while he's doing the video. Can you explain to me what that is? Like people are just typing into him because it seems like it's on YouTube. So I'm like, how is he doing that? They so I've seen people do like a, like a Twitter live type thing, mm-hmm. and then they take the Twitter video and upload it. Uh, yeah. Or the, uh, the the complete like douchebag move is uh, I will be going live at uh, 4 p.m. on Friday. Please send in your questions and I will mm-hmm. you know pick them and then then they pull up their piece of paper as if like 100 questions came in and they had their mom, their sister, and their brother all write the questions. Yeah. And they're like, uh, a reader from you know wherever said, and you're like, dude, it's a softball question. Like obviously, <laughs> <laughs> obviously you. It, it's so funny that question literally allows you to now promote whatever dumb thing you're promoting. Because the the best part about a lot of these videos you're talking about are those people are almost never investors. And they all have like nicknames. It's like the squeak or something. <laughs> it all sounds like a character on like Saved by the Bell or something. Or, or a character, a wannabe mobster who forgot to be tough. Yeah. Right? Or be like jams will be on the end. And I'm like, this really isn't about jamming. It's about finance. Let's stop our <laughs> foolishness. Yeah. The, the part that I like is that they're always selling you something that is not their investment track record. Yeah. Right? They're selling you like some crazy buy my $99 online course to become like a leader. And you're like, wait, what? Like, we're talking about stocks. How, how do we get to the leadership that's online so course? That's every one of the books my husband like reads. It's all just like how to be a leader, like how to get to the highest mountain. I'm always like, relax. Like all my books are just like second to last. Like that works for me. These are just like, these are all just about like power and control and like how to kill every one of my potential opponents and leave them in the dust. I'm like, settle the fuck down down like have some jaeger it's a long so day so <laughs> when when he's talking about crypto what's your perspective on crypto specifically so forget the videos of like just finance in general like you're on twitter i've seen you tweet a couple of times about or, or crypto people tweet at you like does it just like everyone is insane and part of this like cult of like not cool kids or like I mean, it does seem like what I understand about it is that it's it's a way that, you know, you can kind of control your own money and that and that the banks don't have so much control and it takes some control away from, you know, uh, big government. Is that a good explanation? Yeah, that's okay. perfect. Like so yeah, so that's just repeat that a couple of times. Understand it as which seems like a very positive concept to me. So it does yeah. seem like it's going it's like a very positive trend and it sort of like feels like the future to me, but I also 
um, it just takes so much energy for me. Would yeah. take so much energy for me to understand it. I mean, like, thank God he does. But I mean, I you know he's tried to tell me it so many times, but I just. I, like he tried to explain what bullish was to me. Like he's talking about the market being bullish, and I, all the words are like kind of like sexual and like very like masculine. And I've like, never yeah. thought about that. Like <laughs> like the vernacular that is around finance. If you don't know the words, you're probably like, what the fuck are these people talking about? Yeah, I'm like, wait, is that bad when someone's bullish? He's like, no, bullish market. Like that's good, you know. So, uh, uh, and he talks to me about like what an ambitious market is or what this. But I'm like, but what if? I mean, my questions, and you could tell me, if, but I'm like, but what if you guys are all just, like, wrong? These are all just different perceptions of a graph. Like, what if it's all nonsense and the graph is just going to do whatever the graph does? And he's that like, is what it does. Yeah, and he's like, oh, yeah, it's that too. And I'm like, then why, why bother? <laughs> like, I, it's kind of fascinating to me. Like, there's these theories of different ways to interpret something. But to me, it's like, maybe it's my own impatience, but, like, I want an answer, you know? So you're going to love this. Uh, the beginning of the year, I think it's the New York Times or Wall Street Journal, I forget. They go to the, you know, air quotes experts and they mm -hmm. ask them uh, they survey them and they say what do you think i think it's uh what do you think by the end of the year or like the low point of the bond yields are so basically mm -hmm. what the interest rate on, on this stuff is and uh there's a chart that just went viral on the internet recently where pretty much everyone was like it's going to stay flat to like aggressively go up right mm -hmm. so like there's kind of rational people are like oh it's about where it is now is where it'll stay and then there was like one guy who was like it was gonna like 3x right yeah and so this beginning of the year this year it has just it literally looks like it just fell off a cliff mm -hmm. not one person said that it was gonna go down so everyone said it was gonna right. be flat to up and they asked you know 30 experts or something and it's part of it's just like these people are gambling Right, you can say all you want about managing right. risk and you're intelligent and like all this stuff and everything. And to me, it uh, it's funny because um, those are the same people who they're making predictions about things where it's like two percent of their portfolio, right? Like like that's the other game in finance is like, oh, you need to build a diversified portfolio, and the diversified portfolio means like. I don't actually know what's going to happen across any of these things, so I'm just going to put a little money in each one and hope one of them goes up more than all the other ones go down, right. and then like then take the victory lap on the internet, right? It's like mm -hmm. if, if you make money, then you can go and yell and scream about how smart you are. But you'll notice that uh, many of the people who make money in one year, the next couple of years, they don't do so hot. So it's very cyclical, which yeah. to your point is, uh, look, for the most part, most people don't need to know that much. Just kind of do the things that you know are good financial like etiquette, right? Like, I don't know, just buy things that hold them for a long time. Market keeps going up and to the right, you know, if you hold for long enough. So do right. that. And that would be considered conservative? Uh, that thought is controversial. Right. <laughs> uh, but okay. that would be a conservative way. So, like, I think most people would argue that uh, for an everyday American, the best things to do, right, and this is not financial advice, but is things like, look, every time you get a paycheck. See, wait, why do you guys always have to say that? Because everyone in the videos are like, this is not, I'm not, like, yeah. and they're just like, they all start with, like, I'm a wild moron. You should not listen to me. Um, I have no information. Do whatever you're going to do. Like, we're all fucked. And then they go on to give you, like, a very, what I could tell is, I mean, very knowledgeable. And, so yeah, and uh, remember advice. how remember how you were talking about the shows and you send in the show mm -hmm. and then, like, the legal department's like, ah, you can't say that. Oh, yeah. that brand's not cool with that, whatever. Uh, in finance, there's compliance departments. And right. the compliance department's like, here's the law. You can't say this. You can't say that. You can't say this. Mm -hmm. And so uh, basically because uh, – 
people don't just think that we're funny. They actually give us money. You, right. you have to follow the rules. That's why you have to go like full disclosure too about your own portfolio. Like just so you know, exactly. like I like this stock. Like you know, I, I own have, it. I have Ethereum or whatever, even though it's poisoning our water supply. Exactly. And then so they have to say I have this and I have that, but here's what I've done. But it's not yeah. what you should do. But well, well. So here, so you'll love this in the stock market, mm-hmm. you have to do a lot of that stuff because there are securities. So uh, if somebody goes on, like Jim Cramer is probably the, the most famous one, where Jim is Cramer's the, the guy, guy. that like seems kind of manic or whatever? Yeah, he yells and screams yeah. and he punches buttons and is like going He's crazy like all the time. He's like Bobby Knight of like finance, yeah. <laughs> That's a good reference. Uh, Bobby Knight is the Indiana basketball coach who threw a chair across the uh, court. <laughs> That's a really weird reference. <laughs> no, but, but he is. He kind of goes yeah. off the deep end sometimes. But he's funny, right? And so mm-hmm. people watch whatever. Uh, he would have to say, like, if he's like, hey, you should buy this. Like, he'll either verbally say it or, like, at the end they'll scroll and they'll be like, you know, hey, Jim Cramer owns these stocks, mm-hmm. whatever, because uh, they're securities. In crypto, so far, many of the things have not been deemed securities yet. So it's mm-hmm. a little bit more Wild West where, like, I've literally seen people I know who I know what they own go on television. And they're like, this is a great buy. Blah, blah, blah. And you're like, ah, okay. <laughs> We're getting into some some gray area. So, like, that's just all going to get figured out. But in the traditional finance world, it is figured out. There are a lot of rules. There's not as many here, which allows for, you know, Ragecoin to, to go wild. Right. Yeah. Ragecoin. I'd like to say I think it's on the up right now. It's very <laughs> bullish. So very bullish. I'm going to give you one uh, one tip that uh, if you're looking for new material, I've figured out is nobody likes the banks. So you were saying earlier about how like, it takes power from the banks. Mm-hmm. Um, the banks are uh, some of the least trusted and least liked brands in mm-hmm. America. So they do these surveys every year. And uh, I jokingly one time tweeted, long Bitcoin, short the bankers. Mm-hmm. And it like took on a life of its own now where people like literally type it to me all day long. They're like, short the bankers, short the bankers. <laughs> and it's this whole like, like, oh, the bankers suck, right? Yeah. And like, who's a banker? Like nobody who's a banker thinks they're a banker, right? Yeah, they're all exactly. like, oh, I'm an investment professional. Or they've got some right. other like stupid acronym that they want to use for themselves. Uh, but I'm shocked at like how much people hate the banks and hate the bankers. And it's because somebody's messing with their money, right? Yeah. So like firemen don't trust government or don't trust whatever. Like I think pretty much every American is like, ah, I don't trust those people. Like they cause the financial crisis, right? Or like there's always something that they tie it to. Um, and so I think that's part of the crypto like crazy, you know, enthusiasm is it's the alternative to that world that everyone doesn't trust. It's interesting because because like I, I can't tell if it's associate like if most people associate crypto more with the right or the left because like people like, like Elizabeth politically. Warren politically because like people like Elizabeth Warren would also be saying that you know the the banks have too much power and the banks have too much control you know but then you also have people that are um, you know into small government who yep. would say the same thing so it's kind of interesting I guess there's a little bit on both sides of so the definitely which started more mm-hmm. like libertarian crowd grabbed hold, right? Like right, this right. whole, um, you know, the free state uh, up in, yeah. uh, I think, New Hampshire or Vermont. And like all these people who are just like, oh, sweet. There's a currency that's outside the government's control, like small government, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. Uh, I think now what we're seeing is more and more people are just like, uh, you governments are doing crazy stuff. Like, I don't know, um, you, you probably don't pay as much attention to uh, the crazy shit that governments do in the finance world, but uh, Italy just came out and they're like, um, they're in a really bad economic situation. And they literally, uh, one of the leaders goes, so we're thinking about just taxing all of the cash and valuables and safety deposit boxes. Mm-hmm. Because the bank holds it, right? And the bank's backed by the government. And so it's easy for them to, sure, you know, sure. it's not like, hey, come turn in your cash and we're going to tax you. It's just we're just going to go see the deposit box and just tax it. 
And of course, they always do it in the like, we're here to save you and protect you, right? So it's like, right, right, you know, right. all, all this hidden money. And then there's reports come out and they're like, yeah, we think there's billions of euros worth of hidden money in safety deposit boxes. It's like, well, first of all, how hidden is it? It's in a safety deposit box, right? So would you say that there are people on both sides, people that are libertarians and then people that aren't at all libertarian, that are kind of opposed the libertarian mindset, they're both into it, would you say? Or do you think it's more libertarians? I think so. I, so yeah. my experience is it's like every political spectrum, you know, every part of the political spectrum uh, sees value in it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of it, too, I think is... Uh, there's like this like surveillance state, like the anti-surveillance state, right? So um, in Hong Kong recently, there's these protests. Everyone's going crazy over this extradition law. So mm-hmm. like, you know, hey, China's now going to be able to take you out of Hong Kong, bring you to China and try you. Doesn't sound cool, right? right. So everyone in Hong Kong's like, hey, hundreds of thousands of people are going to go into the street and protest. But in America, if we were like, you know, hey, there's a protest on Broadway, like we you could take an Uber, you could walk, you could take the subway. Like we wouldn't think about how you get there. But these pictures surfaced recently of really, really long lines at their subway. Mm-hmm. But there's usually not lines at the subway because they all have everything on their phone, right? It's like right, kind of right. cashless society type stuff. But the reason why there's long lines is because everyone is taking cash and buying a one-way train ticket in cash so that the government can't go get the data later and realize who took the train to the protest. Right, right. In America, we would never think about like, That'd be like, you know, the federal government coming in and being like, let me see your subway card. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, you use your subway card on this stop, and obviously the train's going in this direction. You went to the pro, like, we would never think of that, right? But all the crypto enthusiasts are like, oh, wow, something like a Bitcoin or a cryptocurrency could mm-hmm. have a lot of advantages to privacy where these people don't have to wait in line for cash to buy this stuff, but they could still have the privacy and use a digital currency outside the government's control, blah, 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 whatever. So, like, that's not a really a political type thing. I don't care thing. that much, like, when people, like, you know, on your phone, uh, you know, gives you, like, suggested ads or whatever. Like, yeah, to yeah. me, it's just, like, a helpful reminder. I'm like, oh, yeah, those were those sneakers I meant to buy earlier this week, you know? But it's funny how to one person's mind, they're like, fuck this shit. Like, I appreciate being tracked a little because I can get gentle reminders. But I also yeah, yeah. appreciate, like, people taking something off my shirt. Like, I like to be cleaned throughout the day. Like, you know, pick a piece of lint off me, remind me what I was doing before. Like, I don't care that much, you know? But I also understand why people... People don't want to be like watched, but um, I don't really care. Like I'm like, oh, you can listen. Yeah, like go ahead. Like look what I look at. Like and and help me make some decisions here because the, otherwise I'll just like aimlessly. Yeah. So the difference, I think, right? So like I, I tend to agree on like advertising in general. Uh, people hate ads mm-hmm. until they like what the ad shows them. Like it's all yeah. about like if the ads suck, then people are like, oh, I, I fucking hate these ads. But if it's a good ad, they're like, oh, that was a great piece of content. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was still an ad, right? It's just whether right. you like it or not. So I think that's one piece. But um, I think in these cases with, like, the surveillance state, it's less about, like, advertising. And it's more of, like, you would care if you were tracked if then they're like, oh, you're going to go to jail now. Yeah. Like, oh, okay, hey, now I'm not cool with the tracking stuff, right? Yes. Um, so, so I think it's also just, like, the ramifications and how people are going to use the data. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think because I'm not doing, like, highly important things on my computer, like, I really don't care. Yeah. The only thing I wouldn't want is, you know how, like, I see you have your, your camera covered on your screen? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, somebody told me about that once, and I'm like, you know, there was that, like, tape that got, who was it? The, it was a news, a sports person, Aaron, um, that was, like, somebody was watching her in her hotel room oh, in the hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like for me, it would never even be, like, it wouldn't be, like, me, like, gently getting out of a nightgown or something like that, which is obviously traumatizing and intrusive, but I just feel like... I wouldn't want to take it out because it like, wouldn't be a hot video. I'd just be like laying on my stomach, like feeding at a hotel, like eating macaroni and cheese with like, you know, like a coffee filter or something. You know, like 
I wouldn't really, for me personally. It'd be like comedian plays Anne Frank and then <laughs> video released of eating mac and cheese naked in a hotel room. Yeah, because for me, I'm like, yeah, like if, if it was like, I mean, for her, it was like intrusive and traumatizing. But for me, I'm like, the reason that I wouldn't want a video like that of me to like get out is because it, it wouldn't be like a hot video. It wouldn't be like a hot stolen moment of mine. Like, yeah, it would just be like me eating like raisinets at like three in the afternoon, you know, like just. All you would see is, like, a woman that should be at the gym and then it's just, like, laying there, like, feeding or something with, like, a leg hanging off, you know? So that's my That's basically reason. the uh, the anti-Bitcoiners. That's actually the exact way they think about it. It's like, ah, I don't care if people can, you know, check my transactions. I'm not buying anything anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I mean, I, I definitely understand for sure. You don't want people. Why? I'm just saying in my own personal life, like, I feel like I'm not doing anything important enough to track. But I understand for people that are doing important stuff – you know, you can't have the government all up in your shit, you know? For me, I don't want to be watched, like, you know, when I'm at Howard Johnson's. Um, but besides that, I'm like, go ahead. <laughs> all right. Two last questions for you before we wrap up. Uh, one, what's next for you? So you got all these specials out there. Like, what what's the next step? Do you start going on, like, a tour? Well, I'm working on a pilot right now. Okay. Um, so that's a, a scripted pilot about, about my life right now. Okay. So, um, Is it funny? Yeah, I mean, it's about me as a comic and, you know, um, my husband's in um, FDNY and so he's kind of like, he'll be a chief soon. So it's like half of my life is kind of like being a formal firewife and the other one is like, you know, doing podcasts like this. And Do they all know, like, do all the firemen know that you're a comedian and then like when you show up, they give you shit? Some of them do, but it's kind of satisfying because he jumps around and goes to different houses right now. So uh, when you're a fireman um, and you get promoted, like he's a captain, yep. you don't necessarily have a firehouse that needs a captain. So you're what's called a bouncing captain. So one, he's working in the third division, but one day he might be on 77th in Amsterdam, and the next night he's in another firehouse. So got it, got it, got it. So the nice thing about that is that um, he doesn't have like one home firehouse. And yep. when he becomes a chief, he probably, he might not even for a while. So when I go by the firehouse, sometimes they don't, none of them know me, which is fun because then I can like, you know, just be an ass. Like they're not expecting it. They'll be kind of nervous, you know, like they don't call him by his first name and you come in to like, you know, and so I'll just like get on the microphone and be like, there's a strange Jew in the lobby. Can Captain Brennan please come down and address the city? You know, and they're all just like, what the hell is happening? <laughs> or the guys like to stand outside the firehouse and they all have like, like, doggy treats in case like a cute girl comes by so they can feed her dog you know and so he's the boss so he's like upstairs right so the young firemen stand out there so like um and halloween i kind of like they all think they're slick by the way every guy and girl in new york knows what they're doing (laughs) i know and like guys are just like whatever and then girls like it if they compliment them but if they walk by and they don't say anything then i think girls get offended (laughs) oh yeah definitely I mean, I would always say something. For me, any uniform works. I don't care if it's like a UPS uniform. I'm vaguely aroused. Yeah. Like anybody that has on like shorts and a name tag, I'm listening. But uh, so I was walking by this this firehouse and so that he was working at. And then, uh, so, yeah, they, they do the thing where you walk, a group of men gets quiet. They check to see if you have an ass. If you do have an ass, they tip their friend off. It's a quick conversation. Just even eye contact sometimes. Like, yes, there's an ass to be yeah, reviewed yeah. You, here. Should, you, you should look. You should go ahead and look or, or not even worth looking. And I know that these steps that you go through when you're a woman about to walk by. So I like to, like, slow down right when they're about to do that because, you know, they don't obviously know that I'm his wife so or their boss's wife or whatever. So I'll, like, slow down. And let them do their quick eye contact, ass communication or whatever. And then I'll just like, it was Halloween and I just kind of like circled back and I was like, 
it's really scary out there, boys. Do you think I could come inside and take cover for a little while? <laughs> I was like, I don't feel safe. There's just too much douchery out there tonight. Yeah, yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, yeah, come we'll get you a snack in the kitchen. <laughs> and then you walk in and they're like, actually, I'm here to see Captain Brennan. And they all just kind of like yeah, oh, get shit. very straight. And yeah, so it's like very satisfying that they don't know who I am. And then when they find out I'm a comedian, they realize that they don't have to be as like careful as they thought they yeah, did. Yeah. <laughs> One know? of my favorite moves is uh, if I'm walking down the street with my girlfriend friend and like mm-hmm. you just know the scumbags right like you see yeah, them on the yeah. road and they're usually posted up on a wall you see them literally they got like whiplash because they just have turned their heads so many times when girls walk by <laughs> i'll wait it's always about six steps and then i'll turn around and as i'm still walking i'll turn and just look dead square in the eyes with them and i'm just like you fucking you know <laughs> and she hates when i do it right she's like yeah now i feel uncomfortable like please stop doing this and i'm like look i'm not gonna say anything but just like it's just like i know that you know now that i know what you're doing so like just get it over with let's go uh, yeah, which I, I always stop and i'm like thank you for your service boys you know and just like bite my knuckle or something yeah <laughs> Just flash like a tiny a whisper of tittage and just be like, thanks for your service. <laughs> um, all right. What, uh, what is the funniest story you have about your husband and Bitcoin? I'm trying to think about an actual story here. Um, like just like the most ridiculous moment where you were like, what the hell is this nonsense? Well, I didn't realize, okay, I know this is me and everybody else, but I didn't understand that like he was collecting something invisible, you know? So so when I did ask him what he would save in a fire, and he said, like I was saying before, he was like, oh, my safe. And I'm like, why? Because that's where your Bitcoin is? He's like, no, there is no Bitcoin. And I'm like, well, where is it? And, and so he was explaining And then you had it. to like figure it out. Yeah, and then he told me that long story about the Asian man that some people don't know if he really exists. And I'm, it, I'm expecting it, you to finish the sentence for me. So he may not be, she may not be, they may not be Asian. Do you, has he explained the idea um, of a pseudonymity, uh, of a pseudonymous identity? Oh, man. All right. Ready? Okay. So Bitcoin is, quote, unquote, not tangible, right? It's right. in the cloud. It's, oh, it's I always just pictured zeros. this, like, yeah, fun-loving Japanese <laughs> businessman that isn't getting the credit he deserves. <laughs> so the, the, the name used is Satoshi Nakamoto, but yeah. uh, people don't know who that is, and so there's a million rumors about it could be everyone from uh there's this australian guy who continues to claim he is but no one believes him and just thinks he's a complete fraud mm-hmm. uh to there's a guy who's locked up in jail because he was a really smart cryptographic programmer who na- then became a uh member of the mafia and now mm-hmm. is in jail uh Do some people just think it's like a like a group of like smart like hip texters that came up with this idea itself because they thought that people would find it engaging and it would be like a good conversation so topic you know the two that i hear the most off well three that I hear the most often. So one is, uh, it's the government, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And just like the government came up with some elaborate story. We're all idiots. Oh. We all believe it. And then they're just watching us do everything. Mm. Um, two is that uh, it is a uh, one individual who just did it and left. And no one knows mm. who it is. Uh, and then a third one is, uh, it's a group of really smart cryptogra- uh, cryptographers who may, some of them may have worked at the government, some of them may not have, but just like they got together, they created this thing, they gave it to the world, and then they just kind of dispersed. And do you think that they want this idea? Is, is there a theory that they want this idea to be out there? This 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 potential, like, debatable, fun-loving side maze to all of this? because it Because it creates, like, traction and stories and theories and... 
So I, you know, so two things. One, uh, my personal view is like I actually don't want to know who it is, right? Because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of power to the not being known. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope, um, and again, this is just me being completely biased and and uh, either really smart or really dumb, is that that's why they don't know who it is, right? It's like somebody basically created it, whether it's an individual or a group kind of put it out in the world and they're like oh there's a lot of power for nobody know, knowing who it is right because you can imagine like uh you know you watch these like political hearings right where literally there's mm-hmm. a congressman recently who was like we should ban this like it's gonna take down america right like, like right. he's like you know and you're just like dude you you get the potential ramifications but like, he couldn't explain it yeah. right and so they're literally we will talk to people and they're like so like where's satoshi at <laughs> like, don't even know where that is, right? But like, you can imagine if like Bitcoin became really, really popular, that they'd be like, "Oh, we're gonna subpoena Satoshi to come in here and like talk." And then the person or group is like, uh, "We have no control," right? And they're like, "No, no, no, just like shut it off." Like, like you have to shut it off. And they're like, "We can't shut it off." Like, you know what I mean? You can just imagine this like ridiculous like hearing. And so like, I always think like somebody probably was like, "I'm not gonna engage in that," right? Like, here's this thing, I'm out. Um, but there's a lot of power to it too, right? Because then if like, let's say your husband lost a bunch of money in Bitcoin, you can't be like, oh, there's Satoshi, like that idiot, right? Right, It's just like, there's no one to blame. There's no one to blame, yeah. It's just an algorithm. My mom was like, what should we get Pete for his birthday? I think we should get him a gift certificate to that darn Bitcoin he's always rambling about. And she was like, I tried to ask at the mall, but they don't. Nobody said there was a place you could get it. And I asked at the bank, and they said no either. So, so she, they were trying to find like a like a okay. Bitcoin gift certificate. Is there a thing? Uh, I don't know. There's definitely not gift certificates, but there are <laughs> ATMs. Like, there's now ATMs where you can like go and put yeah, you know, your unsound fiat money in and get a Bitcoin out, but like not a physical one. They like put just it. a piece of paper that says you own something. Uh, so I have, I've never used one. I actually don't know if they give you a receipt or not, like a paper receipt. But the mm-hmm. idea of buying a digital currency and getting a paper receipt is pretty funny. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that they can either send the Bitcoin to your, to your digital bank, wallet. To your digital wallet. Exactly. Right. Or you could put it on like a uh, like a, a treasure, like kind of like a USB stick. And then you like. And the thing with it. me is like I lose everything. Yeah. So so yeah, I'm you'd only, be bad at Bitcoin. I feel like I'd be bad. <laughs> yeah, because it's like I lose everything. Like I lose keys. I I lose debit cards. Like. Like once a month, I'm just shedding debit cards. Yeah, I'm not responsible in that way. I'll lose his keys, and there's like one key on him. He's like, you know, this is the universal one for the elevators or something. Some sort of universal important fireman elevator key, and I'm just like, ugh. Well, Does he ever like get on the elevator and just use the key to like override no, the elevator? No, I was wanted to do that stuff. Like we get on the train. <laughs> Let's go to 52nd floor. Yeah. There's some sort of fireman elevator key, and I'm like, make it happen. And then he can also, he doesn't have to, he can open the subway doors too, but he doesn't ever do it when he's not working. Yeah, it's very uh-huh. impressive and ethical. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, use it. Yeah. Like, it's like with the badge. I'm like, You're tin him. The- yeah. And some of his friends will tin anybody, you know, like his buddy that comes Wait, what, what do they do? Tin him is like, use your badge, you know? Tin him? You call it like tin him when you, when you show your badge, oh, okay. you know? Like, yeah, yeah. At like, you know, and like... Oh, like tin, like T-I-N space E-M, like tin Yeah, him. like oh. tin him, you know? Like his buddy that comes over to buy Bitcoin. Um, <laughs> Wait, do they have like a, a private fireman Bitcoin club? Uh, I mean, he just comes by the house and then it's like always like... like They're talking about Bitcoin. Yeah. It's, okay. like, it's just, I just know it's somebody there to buy Bitcoin if he's in like kind of like a yellow wife beater and uh, he's screaming out the window like, Peter, you know, and then he'll come in. He came over this one friend of his like right before the wedding 
And I, we wanted a pinata in our wedding because I just thought it would be hilarious, you know? And he's like, it better be Hillary Clinton's face. <laughs> now, where's my coin? You know, so it's always like they come over. They're still angry at Hillary, even though, like, she's not really in the picture anymore. They'll talk a little shit about Hillary. And then they're always very polite, too. How are how you? How's your mother, sweetheart? You know? <laughs> What can I do for you? It's like a mixture of like a complete gentleman, but then also like there's like a very like big like yellow barbaric. stain on him. Yeah. 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 Like, you look lovely. How you doing? How's your mother? I hope she's well, you know? It, it's like the mob, right? Like they'll literally kill people, but never the women and children. But never the ladies, <laughs> God forbid. We're yeah. gentlemen, but by the way, I'll God shoot forbid. you in the back of the head yeah. when you get in the car. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of hot. Yeah. I mean, they're all pretty like strong and they all have each other's backs and they just... Uh, they're always yelling about Bitcoin all the time. But, uh, yeah, they'll come over and just ask for some. And then I'm always trying to understand, like, how – what if it goes, like, up or down? Do you just decide on the price that you – this is such a dumb question. You should definitely edit it out but because everybody already knows all this. But you just decide on the price you sell it at or whatever? Yeah, it's like uh, – basically, you buy, like, it's like if you bought a car, right? Mm-hmm. Let's say you bought a car at $10,000 and then all of a sudden – Somebody's like, hey, I'll pay you 15000 for it. You're like, well, okay, here, take my car. <laughs> I'll right, just go buy another right. $10,000 one, right? Uh, or you could buy the car at 10000 and then you're like, ah, I don't want this anymore. And you go and you look and like, shit, people only pay me 7000 for it. Eh, do I want to do that? Right? And you kind of think about, well, could it be worth more in the future and whatever? The difference is you're not meeting some random dude in like a street in Brooklyn to sell your shitty car. You're going on the internet and there's just an exchange. Well, and the reason why that they go in person is because they all like to do everything in cash. Fireman love cash. Oh, they, they, yes, they don't want to drop off some cash. Got put it. Put in a safe. Got it. Yeah, got it. They got shake it. Shake on it. You know? <laughs> They're like, "I love you. I love you. Fuck the government. How's your mother? Hillary. Yeah, Hillary. <laughs> Fucking Hillary. Yeah." Um, so a bunch of guys I know uh, from the military are very similar in, in a lot of their beliefs. Yeah. And uh, and the one thing that I've told them a million times, uh, the most surreal thing that has happened in politics to me over the you know pretty much my lifetime is during the 2000 and I think it was uh, 16 mm-hmm. uh, Republican convention. Um, I don't even think Donald Trump was on stage. I think it was somebody else was on stage, and the crowd was chanting "Lock her up." And I remember thinking, like, do we live in a third world country where, like, so literally dumb. one political candidate is encouraging locking up another? And, like, forget your political beliefs for a second, right? Like, forget that it's even the U.S. Just and they like, don't even know what for. Like, what is going on? Yeah. Somebody, like, grabbed the mic at the end of my wedding and it was like, lock her up! And I'm like, you definitely have no idea, like, what offense you even think that she should be jailed for, for the love at of God. At your wedding, yeah. somebody said that? Yes, I knew that a fireman was going to grab, like, the mic and scream something like that. It's confusing because, like... I mean, they, they definitely don't obvi- often know also what they yeah, like yeah. her jailed for. They're just like, yeah, lock her up. You know, like as soon as they get drunk, for some reason, they bond that way. It's always very much. It's a joke. Yeah. Well. They, they believe yeah. it, but, but they it's like. They like her a- locked up. I'm not sure that they could think of a, like a rational reason, but, you know. I mean, some of the things that they'll tell him at the fire department, I'm like. That's not true. Like whatever your actual feeling is, you know, like right or left. You yeah, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like. Like, like there's um, actually a fact and like you're saying facts. the opposite. We have to like there has to be some level of just like things we can some collective reality here. Yeah, yeah. Like he'll come home and it'll be like Scarpini says they're cooking babies and Planned Parenthood. Like, they're not <laughs> cooking babies, all right? Like be pro-choice, be pro-life. I can respect whatever, but just there no one's cooking a baby. That's not something that Planned Parenthood is doing. And I don't care what Scarpini, what pamphlet he handed you at the firehouse. <laughs> you'll love this. So uh, I love my mother to death. Uh, she she will read something on the internet. And part of it is uh, lack of 
yeah. like information. Some of it is lack of trying. Some of it is like just getting older and like probably forgetting half the facts. And then somehow between her reading it on the internet and her repeating it to me, by the end, I'm like, there's no way that that is possibly true. And I'll go look and it's like basically the exact opposite times 10. <laughs> right? And I'm like, how did you get like to this? Like what? Like what did she say? It's just like stupid stuff. Like uh, everything from, uh, I'm trying to think of like the last time she said something crazy, but it'll be like, oh, oh uh, here's a great one. Um, when the whole like Catholic priest thing was going on, yeah. right? And all the, the whole scandal. And it's always scandals, right? It can't possibly be just like, oh, I heard the supermarket has a sale, right? Yeah. Like it's got to be like the most like salacious like scandals. news thing, right? Yeah. And uh, and literally, you would have thought that like every Catholic priest in the entire world was molesting every child who walked into the church. Like, I mean, the whole thing. And she was like, and, and she was upset. She wasn't trying to like fan the flames. She was like, oh my god. Like, like I, I was next expecting her to be like, did you get molested by a Catholic priest when we used to go to church, <laughs> right? And I was like, mom, I think that like it's a problem, right? And like there was all this whole issue, but I don't think it's every priest, right? Yeah. And because she started rattling off like priests that we knew from childhood. And I was like, oh my God. And I go and I look <laughs> and I had to like sit her down and show her the information and be like, okay, so like the takeaway from this is, mm-hmm. and to me, it's just like, that's actually like most of America, right? It is like, they just, they read a headline and next thing you know, like it's like the game of telephone you play in school. By the end of the telephone, you're like, this is you're actually we started out talking about politics now you're saying like an alien's running for president like how did how did we get there i know it is true and they hear one small thing and then it gets bigger and bigger and it becomes more and more mangled until you're delivered and i'm like no <laughs> scarpini is wrong i can tell you that much you know? I, i'm now imagining every fireman in new york driving to a fire yelling out the window lock her up lock her up <laughs> <laughs> too funny but but you know i, I do feel like uh, it's good to, you know, I do think that whatever side of the aisle you're on, it does seem to be a positive thing, you know, to have control of your own, um, you know, money and, and financial destiny in a way. So, I mean, I, I can, I can get behind it, you know, whether you're like right, left, whatever. I mean, everybody wants to feel like they have a little more control over what happens to them when they're old and what they set aside for themselves. So you're, you're a spokesperson for uh, Bitcoin already. You don't even realize it. Yeah. Ragecoin too. <laughs> Rage Fuck the haters. Ragecoin is going to be very bullish. That's how we're going to, that's how, we're, that's how we're going to know if people made it through all the uh, vulgar aspects of the podcast is if they hear Ragecoin and then they start tweeting at you. You or I about Rachel. You should Rachel. definitely edit out like a couple things I'm thinking of already. <laughs> no, awesome. All right, guys. Uh, Rachel, I appreciate you doing this so much. A uh, ton of fun. And uh, I'm sure your husband will uh, will have a conversation after he hears about 50% of the things that you accused him of. Uh, but, uh, but no, I really appreciate you doing it. And uh, we'll have to do it again in the future. Thank you so much. Hey, everyone. Pop here. If you like this episode of Off the Chain and want to help us take crypto to the top of the Apple, Spotify, and other podcast charts, please do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe. To review, simply go to the Off the Chain homepage, scroll down until you see the five blank stars. Taking 15 seconds to fill those stars in and leave a quick review goes a long way in helping us take the entire crypto ecosystem to the top of the charts. I appreciate you listening and see you next time on Off the Chain.